0: 1st John chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 7 and read to the end of the chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Just pray for you, John, before you speak to this. A lot of pressure. Preaching has been amazing so far. So uh, <laughs> He's just coming to clean up all the messes I've made. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you um, have revealed yourself to us through this timeless book. That, that, that you speak to us, that we know exactly what you want for us. Um, Father we pray that our hearts will be attuned to hear you this morning Lord I pray for John you would clear his mind of everything except you Jesus um, Father I pray that this morning I know the desire of his heart is that he would decrease and that you would increase um, Lord just give him clarity um, give him strength stamina and may we hear from you mightily this morning Amen Thanks man Great Hi Guess okay. Um, Most of you probably know me. Um, A few of you certainly might not. Um, My name's Jonathan. One of the pastors. One of the elders here. Um, Most of the time, I am over at East, but I get to be here with you this morning, which is cool. Um, We do have uh, a bit of like crossover between uh, preaching. We'll always have that, and especially during these early days, a bit more crossover with. Like worship leading duties and things like that, which is cool because we are one church, one family with two what we call interdependent congregations. That we are brothers and sisters. We're like cousins that that rely on each other, that need each other. Um, I think it's amazing. So, um, but yep, love to you from brothers and sisters in East Belfast. Um, it's so good to see some of your faces. I miss you guys. It's not easy sending you out. It's been it's been weird. Um, I remember I was preaching the first Sunday that you guys met here and I felt like a, a guest preacher in our own church because I looked out and Rachel and Joe weren't there and Angie wasn't there. And you guys, like, it was just kind of weird. But um, we're getting used to it, and, but it's cool, isn't it? It's, it's amazing to see Jesus build his church um, here in Belfast and all over the world. So um, praise him. Um, if you haven't yet, open your Bibles to 1 John 4. Um, I do love this book, and I think it's been a great uh, way to kick off things here. Um, the author of this book, John, um, is probably one of my favorite uh, New Testament uh, people. Uh, he's the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, um, which is probably my favorite gospel as well. Um, he was, John was probably the youngest of the 12 disciples, um, but he was also one of Jesus' best friends, one of his closest friends that he had. Um, he called himself, uh, when he's writing in this gospel, he called himself the beloved disciple or, or the disciple that Jesus loved. I, I, I just love that. Um, and we have this picture of, of John in, in, in this book as an old man at this stage. Um, he, he's, he's the only disciple probably to die of old age. So the, other, the rest of the 12 were met with violent, cruel deaths, um, crucifixions like Jesus, um, stabbings, stonings, beheadings. Um, all of these deaths were because of their faith in Jesus, because of their mission that Jesus has set them on. But we have John here, the beloved disciple. For some reason he gets to, he, he grows to be an elderly man. Um, a lot of people think he, he kind of ended his life helping to lead the church in Ephesus. And some people think that, would say that he was the one who, who looked after Jesus' mother, Mary. Um, in, her, in her later days, um, I love that picture because he heard Jesus. One of the last things he says was, take care of my mother. Um, he loves his mother, and John got to do that, possibly. Um, but we have this picture of elderly John, and, but he still has this deep passion for Jesus, for his friend, his king, Jesus. And he has a deep concern, a deep love for Jesus' church as well. Um, so John, he, he walked with Jesus. He, he was called by Jesus to follow him. He was taught by Jesus for years. um, He saw Jesus crucified. He saw. He met with Jesus after He raised from the dead. um, He saw Jesus ascend up into heaven. He received the revelation of Jesus later in life. Just God, like just allowing him to see the end, what was to come. Isn't that amazing? Like John got to see with his eyes the new heaven, the new earth. He got to peek in on the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. That's amazing! Um, I can't wait for that. This 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 scene where the bride of Christ, the 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 church, us, me, and you, there, hopefully, prepares herself, has made herself ready for for the groom, Jesus. Um, this is the same John who who heard Jesus testify to all of those things and say, "Truly, I'm coming again soon." And John said, "Amen, come, Lord Jesus." So we have this this grandfather, this old John, and he has this anticipation that Jesus will come again. And he also has this, this love and this concern for the church to remain faithful until that point, um, th- that the church would stay steady, stay true, stay faithful to Jesus until he comes again. He loves the church, he loves Jesus, and he has concerns for, for us to, be remain, to remain true and, and steady until Jesus comes again. Um, John knows that Jesus is alive. He, he, and his concern in this book is, what does it mean for the church to be alive? What does it, what does it mean for, for her to prepare herself ready for the bridegroom? Um, so you, this is why, titled the, it's not up there, but um, it's called Vital Signs. So you've, you've named this, uh, this series. And the, the tagline is, where there is life, there are signs of life. What does it look like for the church to, to be alive and to stay true? Um, last week, I'm not going to go over all of those vital signs, but last week in chapter three, uh, you saw that, that John is concerned that, that the church, that we uh, would know our identity as children of God, and, and Andrew unpacked what the implications that has in our life. So our identity as children of God, if we know that identity, that we are then to love one another. Uh, and John says that, that by loving one, one another, we're actually upholding the truth. So in, in 19, verse 19 of, of chapter 3, it um, says that by this we shall know that we are of the truth. And he goes on verse 23 and he says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his, of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another. So this is the commandment for the church, that you would believe that Jesus is Lord and you'd love one another. His concern is that we would uphold the truth. What's the truth? That Jesus is Lord. And one of the main ways we uphold that truth is by loving one another. Love upholds the truth. Um, and this is John's main thing, isn't it? He's, he's, some would say that this is the thing he is an expert in, love. Um, people will say that Paul is the apostle of faith, and Peter is the apostle of hope, James is the apostle of good works, and, and, but John's the apostle of love. Um, so by reading this letter, you can almost tell that he is this, this grandfather character, and um, he's, he's repetitive in his talk. He tells the same stories over and again. He, he's pretty circular in, his, in, his, in the way he writes. Um, he's, he's the grandfather who, who comes over and he tells the same stories over over and over again, but you still listen to him because he's so wise and there's so much experience. He's the one that, he, he was Jesus' best friend. I'm gonna listen to you. And um, he repeats himself, but you, bear, but you bear with him because what he has to say is so important. Um, he's concerned that we would uphold love, in particular, that we would love one another. And here we are in chapter 4, verse 7, and he, again, old grandfather John, he circles back to love. Love one another, and he comes back to it here. Um, several times in the Bible, you, you do have God um, uh, giving us his thoughts on, on what love is. So we believe that the Bible is, is, is God's word that's, that's been breathed out by the Spirit, um, and you have these, a few famous passages that you'll have, you have heard probably at weddings about love. So you have Song of Songs, chapter 8, uh, 5 to 14. It's a wee bit saucy in there, but it's, it's, it's about love. Um, you have 1 Corinthians 13, Just you, you hear that nearly at every wedding you're at. Um, and here in, in 1 John 4, 7 to 21, John goes on and he gives us his thoughts on love. What is love? Why love? If it's so important, what is it? John takes it takes us to the to the very origin, the very source of love for us to understand it, and that's God himself. He says, God is love. Um, can I pray again for us? Um, I'm going to pray that the Lord will continue to help us, that he would uh, help us to learn this morning. Um, <clears throat> Father, we love you. We thank you that that uh, you have given us your word, we have your words um, to to guide us, to teach us, to show us what the truth is, to to give us freedom in that truth, and uh, we thank you, Jesus, that you have promised to not leave us as orphans, that, that you have given us your spirit to dwell in us to to be uh, a dwelling place in your church in your people, uh, we thank you that you do um, guide us that you don 't leave us alone to figure out the truth that you open up our hearts that you use um, um, uh, you, you illuminate your 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 scriptures for us to see for us to know you uh, spirit we 'd ask that you do that right now we are we are confident that, that you are here we ask that you would would speak through me someone who doesn 't have power doesn 't have the strength to Place truth in people's lives and people's hearts. Only you can do that, Spirit. We ask that you do that. Praise things in your name, Jesus. Um, the New Testament actually, actually has quite a rich vocabulary for the word love, because we don't. Um, so you can imagine um, if, we, if we did a survey of people just out on the streets of Belfast, uh, or pr- probably even just in this room alone, we would have a survey of asking people, What does love mean? You would have a lot of different responses. Um, you can bet the, that the majority of people would probably describe something sentimental or emotional or very well make some kind of allusion towards sex. Um, just look at the way we're taught what love is in the world. So read any book, watch any advert, watch any film. That any, all films are about love, aren't they? And most of the way uh, books and adverts and films use love, it's generally emotional and sentimental and sexual. And there is, there is a New Testament word uh, for that kind of physical, intimate, sexual union between a man and a woman. So the, the Bible does talk about that. That's the word eros, um, obviously where we get the word erotic. So the New Testament employs this Greek word. Adam and Eve knew, knew each other in this way in the beginning. They had this kind of union, but this isn't the word that John is using here. Um, there's, a, there's another New Testament Greek word for the love that we would uh, recognized between a family, a family love that parents have for their children and children have for their parents, aunts and uncles, cousins. So you can imagine the kind of love that you experience at a birthday party or around the dinner table at Christmas. Um, it's the Greek word storge, but, but it's not the, the word that John uses here. Um, there's a word that, that we're probably familiar with. You heard the, the city name Philadelphia. It's the Greek word philia. So it's the, the city of brotherly love. Um, this is a word for, for brothers, for, for, for a, a love between companions. Um, this is the kind of love that me and Andrew have for each other. So we, he was, um, <laughs> my notes say he was Batman, but he's b- the best man at my wedding. Imagine you were dressed up as Batman at my wedding. That'd be a, ge- a, a geeky wedding. <laughs> um, so we, we have a, 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 a brotherly love for each other, a companionship. Uh, But this isn't the word that John uses here in chapter 4. John uses a word that did exist in Greek before the the apostles started to use it, but it sort of laid dormant. Um, It wasn't really part of everybody's day-to-day vocabulary. Um, What seems to have happened is the Holy Spirit had the apostles use that word and pour into that word a whole new meaning. And that it might not have really had before. It, so, this, this word took on its own, uh, a, a life of its own, and, and they gave this word a new meaning. And it's a word that is actually used in a very specific way in the New Testament to describe the love of God that he has for us in the gospel. This, this love that, that gives his son to die in our place, to be our substitute. That's the word that John uses here this word agape love. Um, This is the word that John keeps repeating to the Christians in this book. So you you have this picture of him going around the room and telling people to love one another. Brothers and sisters, love one another. Little children, love one another. Agape one another. He's so, so concerned that we would get this correct. Um, And this is what I want us to see this morning. Uh, In this uh, section, there, there are three ways in which John speaks of this love, this agape love. This this specific love that he's exhorting us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We have this union in Christ to love one another. Um, I want us to see that he speaks uh, of this love, firstly, trinitarianly. He speaks of this word experientially. And thirdly, he speaks of it motivationally. So, uh, firstly, he speaks of this word trinitarianly. Look at um, verses 7 to 12. Um, In this section, John John's alluding to the, 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 the doctrine of the Trinity. That, that, so there's one God, but there are three persons of this Trinitarian God. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he's looking, he's pointing at this God, this, this Trinity, um, at each person of the Trinity, and he, and he shows us what this agape love is. Um, I love this section because you can imagine uh, John uh, thinking back uh, he's remembering back to that upper room that him and, the, and Jesus' 12 disciples were in um, uh, uh, with Jesus back in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 and 15 and 16. Um, he, he's remembering back to that scene where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's, he's, he's preparing them for him leaving. And he's basically unfolding the doctrine of the Trinity here. He's, he's, he's about, after, after those chapters, he goes and he's crucified, he's killed, he's, he's, then he raises from the dead and he, and he ascends to heaven. And he's preparing them for, for what their relationship with him is going to be like after that happens, after he's gone. Um, it's the last thing that Jesus spoke of. Um, and he, he spoke about God the Father, he spoke about God himself, the Son, and then he spoke about the Holy Spirit. And he's telling them that there's only one God, but there's more than one who is that God. That the Father is God, that the, Spirit, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but there's only one God. And, and John tells us a few times in this passage, uh, because remember he, he repeats himself, that God is love. And look at verses 8 and 9 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world. So the, the God who is love that he's speaking about here in the first place is, is the God to whom Jesus is the Son. He's speaking about God the Father. He's speaking about the first person of the Trinity. And he's saying that God is love and he sent his Son He's saying that the father loves. And me and Andrew are talking about this uh, in the office. It's it's a really it's a really important thing to know about the father's love here. Um, we can often mistake what what Jesus actually came to do, what he actually. We can use the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that he died for us, um, the the work that he did on the cross, and kind of misunderstand what what that. What that does uh, between Jesus and the Father. So uh, when you talk about the Father's love, the Father loves His creation. And he loves the world. He loves the universe. He loves space more than Andrew does. We love space, and, but but the Father loves what he the things He has created because because He created it and and he 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 cares for it and He provides for His creation. Um, the Father even, even loves rebellious sinners to some degree because he feeds them, because he clothes them. He provides and he sustains their life. He sends the waters to rain on their fields. And his, his love falls on the just and the unjust, but that's not the kind of love that John is speaking about here. He's speaking about a, a particular love that, that God the Father has for his people, for his children, for those to whom he sends his Son to be a propitiation for their sins, he says. And, and here's the mistake that we often make. We often portray Jesus uh, coming to the earth and, and through his work on the cross, having to woo the father into loving us. Uh, that, he's, that the father is this uh, disgruntled, kind of temperamental father who's reluctant to love us, but Jesus has to come and convince, convince him to love us. But that's, that's not what John says here. It's not what John says in his gospel, and we all know John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, so what is it that, that drives the son into the world? What is it that sends him to earth? It's the love of the father. The, the father loves us. He, he, loves, he loves his son. He loves this, the, the spirit. There's this, there's this love that exists within the Trinity that always has. And, and that love, it goes out and it's, it's displayed on the likes of us who, who believe in Jesus. The, the Father has loved us. Okay? Jesus doesn't have to convince him to love us. It's, it's actually the entire reason that he came in the first place. He was sent because the Father has loved us. Isn't that an amazing truth? that we have a father who loves us. And we all come from different stories. Uh, Some of you have had brilliant fathers. Some of you have had bad fathers. Some of you may not have met your father. Uh, But listen to me this morning, that your true father, your, your father, your everlasting heavenly father, loves you with the love that is far greater than any earthly father has to offer. This is the love of my heavenly father, that he sent his son. And then John goes on to speak about that second person of the Trinity, the son. And he explains this agape love in redemptive terms. Look at verse 10 and 11. In this is love... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. He loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Um, I I know Andrew covered what that word meant back in chapter 2. But it means that Jesus in dying for us on the cross... In giving his life as a ransom for many, he propitiates, he appeases the wrath of God. Okay, what's the wrath of God? It's, it's the, the reflex of the holiness of God towards sin. So, so how can you explain that scene on the cross where, where, where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, why did God forsake him on the cross? It's because... Uh, because on the cross, our sin was being reckoned to him. And, and, and the reflex of the holiness of God was being poured out upon the Son because of that sin. Okay? He was being cursed on the cross. That's how Paul uh, um, understood it. He, he wrote that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's, he's, he's talking about Jesus here. His death was an accursed death. Because the wrath of God was being poured out upon him as he took our place, as he took our sin. What kind of love does the father have? The kind of love that, that sends, it says, not his son, his only son into this world to become the sin bearer. The substitute for the sins of his people. To become the lamb of God who would take away the sins of those people. That's the kind of love the Father has for us. He's willing to, to lose his own son for our sake. And growing up, I lost my best friend in a car accident. He was 18. And obviously, it was incredibly hard. It was an incredibly painful and difficult experience. And the kind of pain that marks you, that, that kind of from there on out kind of defines who you are, changes you. Um, and I can look back and remember that, but um, there's something about now being a father with children of my own. So I've, I have one son, Abe, and I couldn't imagine losing him. I couldn't imagine the pain that, that I would experience. And, and I can now look back, and, and my, my pain uh, back when I was a teenager was, was, it's, it was serious. Um, but I now know that the pain of his mom and dad was far greater than my pain. Um, the pain that, that his, his father felt when he died. If I was to describe his dad, and if I was to introduce him to you, um, probably the, the first thing I would say that defines him is, is he's a father who lost a son. He's, it defines him. He's, he's someone who has lost his son. And that's our father, isn't it? The father gave his son. He lost his son for us. That's the kind of agape love that John is speaking about. So he speaks about the father. He speaks about the son. And then he goes on to speak about the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Then he goes on to explain what that abiding is. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. This should remind you of those of chapter 14 and 15 and 16 of John's gospel again. Go read it this week. Jesus says, uh, Abide in me and I in you. So we abide in God and God abides in us. Um, in in uh, the gospel of John, chapter 14, um, Jesus is saying, Um, I'm going away to the Father, um, but I'm going to ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, another comforter, another advocate. The word is paraclete. Um, Why do you think He he asked them to give another paraclete, another advocate, another comforter? He, He asked them to give another one because we already have one. His disciples already had one, and that was Jesus Jesus is, is already our advocate. He's already our comforter. We already have a counselor in Jesus. So we, you learn this in, in chapter two of 1 John, that Jesus is our advocate. He's our helper. But Jesus says, I'm going to pray that the Father will give you another helper of the very same kind. I'm going to ask the Father to give you the, the spirit who will become to you like a surrogate Christ, a, a personal representative, the, the agent of Jesus. Okay, this is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus. It's called the Spirit of God's Son. Okay, he, he, he takes the things of Christ and he makes them known to us. Isn't this amazing? So John's talking about love, agape love. He's not talking about sexual love. He's not talking about uh, family love not talking about brotherly love. he 's talking about Agape love, this New Testament love that describes what God has done for us in the gospel, and the way he does that is he goes and he looks directly at God. God is love. It, it, love is what defines what God is. We did a, a series a couple years back um, looking at the well, looking at some of the attributes of God. Um, That series would be eternally long if we tried to cover them all, but um, we looked in that series how God is um, immutable, so he's unchanging. We looked at God is transcendent. God is eminent. God is is holy. He is sovereign. We looked at how God is just. He's he's a lot of things, but he's also love, John says. Um, It's important to know that it's not like an aspect of him, so it's it's not like an orange has different segments, and one of those segments is love. Uh, that the whole of him, every aspect, is love. And um, I think that's the first thing that John is trying to get across: that that God is love, and he points to him, Father, Son, and Spirit. And um, I know Trinity stuff's complicated. It's complicated to me. Um, my my boy Abe's like trying to work it out. He's like, how can Jesus be God and God the Father? You know. Um, but remember that John is speaking to everyone here. He, he's, he call, he's not just speaking to the, the theologians in the room. He, he Remember he says, my little children, young, old, I want you to think about God. And, and I want you to understand that, that God is one, but he's Father, Son, and Spirit. And those three persons of the Trinity, they love each other infinitely. And they demonstrate their love for us by... Um, by, by God the Father sending a, sending his Son, and then by the Son sending his Spirit to abide in us. So John, firstly, speaks of this agape love trinitarianly. Uh, secondly, he speaks about this love experientially. Look at verse 17. It says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment, because He is, so also are we in this world. Um, I want you to uh, firstly know that that word He uses, uh, perfected. He isn't talking about talking about perfectionism. Um, he's not saying that when you become a Christian that you become perfect, um, that when you that you no longer sin, that when you become a Christian and the Spirit comes and dwells in you, that you're. Um, you're raised up to this higher level, and, and you're you're not perfect. Um, I once met a guy who tried to convince me of this. He came to um, our church back way back in the day, um, not village, and he he tried to convince me that Christians are not they, they don't sin anymore. Um, he actually used this passage to to kind of defend this. I asked him if he still sinned, and he said no. I was like, you liar. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, there's actually a, a funny a funny story about Spurgeon um, where he met a woman in a train station uh, who once made this claim to perfectionism and he stood on her toe <laughs> on purpose and the, the reaction that she had demonstrated that she was not indeed perfect yet. Um, I don't know if it's a, a true story, but he wrote it. Um, that, that perfectionism is not what John is talking about here. Uh, Derek Thomas says that you can understand it like this when you translate it like this. Uh, when, the, when the love of God comes to us, Okay, by means of, of the death of his son on our behalf, by means of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in us, it has reached its goal. That's how he, how he kind of translates it. It has done what it has set out to do. It's, it's perfected in this way. It's reached its goal. And what is the love of God setting out to do? Okay, look at verse 17. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in this world. This is very incredible. Okay, by this, by this is love perfected. This is the goal of love so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because he is, so also are we in this world. So we talk about the gospel a lot here. What is the purpose of the gospel? The, the purpose of it is the gospel puts us in a right relationship with God. Okay, that's what the gospel does. The gospel, the, the good news of, of the death of Jesus on our behalf, it takes away our sin and when we put our faith in, in Jesus as Lord, when we believe in him, when we repent of our sins, when we place our trust in him, when we, we take him as Lord and Savior, our sins, okay, although they, they are, um, they've left a crimson stain, like the old song says, they're washed as white as snow. They, they're canceled. Your debt is paid. It's paid in full. So that on the day of judgment, those sins can never come back to haunt us. Isn't that so good? It means Here's what it means to be justified. That, that, that the verdict that we will hear on the day of judgment, not guilty because you are in Christ, is brought right to the here and now. is that amazing? Do you realize that we are not guilty in the gospel? That in the gospel, we are law keepers. In the gospel, we are covenant keepers. In the gospel, we are, we are whiter than snow. Because Jesus has paid for all the penalty of sin. And that verdict now is the same verdict that you will hear on the day of judgment. Isn't that so good? John says that we are now as he is. And what is Jesus? He's perfect. He's pure. He's spotless. He's righteous. How can that be? How can we be Regarded legally in, in God's eyes as perfect, like Jesus. How can we, we, we be regarded now as He is? Because of the gospel. That's, that's what the love, of the love of God in the gospel does for us. Look at 17. It gives us confidence. We can have confidence. The Greek word there is, comes from the political world, it's something of free speech. Okay? You may speak freely now, say what you want. I thought that was cool. The gospel gives us confidence. It gives us free speech. We can speak freely. We are no longer fearful, John goes on to say. He says, there is is no fear in this love. Love casts out all fear. That's one of those like uh, coffee mug, love casts out fear. We don't understand what that means. That we have no fear of God. We have no fear of judgment. We're not afraid of that day of judgment. Let me ask you, do you believe in the day of judgment? Do you, do you believe that there will be a day of account? A day of reckoning? Do you believe there is a heaven and a hell? Do you believe there is a su- separation between the just and the unjust? Between believers and unbelievers? What does the gospel do? It puts us in a condition that we may have confidence that, the verdict, of the, gospel, that the, the verdict that the gospel gives, not guilty. Your sins are paid for. You are now a, a child of God. is the same verdict that you will hear on the day of judgment. It bring, and it brings that verdict right into the here and now. So that it gives us confidence and it casts out fear. I don't have to be afraid of God. Why? Because he's my father. I'm his son. I can now actually look forward to that future meeting with him without fear or punishment. I know that whenever we, um, whenever we start talking about judgment and punishment, some of us get a little bit squirmish. Um, but I'd be a bad teacher today, a bad expositor of this text if I didn't say this. Um, this, this verse reminds us that every person, Christian or not, will one day stand before the Lord and give an account of their life. And I want to say this as gently, but as seriously as possible. A person who is not a Christian has every reason to be fearful of that day. To be fearful of future judgment. You have every reason to be afraid of God. You have every reason to be afraid of this God of love, Because apart from Christ, apart from the gospel, apart from from faith and union with Jesus, there's only fearful anticipation of judgment. But do you see what John is saying here? He's saying this love of God, this gospel agape love of God, it casts out fear. You, You don't have to be afraid. So uh, Christians, those who those who have put their faith in Christ, who have union with Christ, have no fear of future judgment. Why? Because our judgment has already passed on the cross. It occurred on the cross, and we may now have assurance, free speech, confidence about our union with Christ. Because we're told that the Spirit witnesses with my Spirit that I am a child of God, and if a child, an heir, a co-heir with Christ, isn't that amazing? So John speaks of this love trinitarianly. He speaks of it experientially. And finally, he speaks of this love motivationally. You get to verse 19, nearly done. It says, we love because he first loved us. That's your motivation for love. Notice the order here. It's very, very important. John's saying something that's at the very heart of the gospel. We, we don't love one another in order to make God love us. We, we don't love one another in order to gain approval, in order, in order to gain his love, in order to be in the good books, okay? John's saying it's actually the complete opposite of that, okay? It's, it's actually because he loved us. It's because of what he's done through the gospel, because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross on our behalf. It's because he sends the spirit to indwell our hearts that we actually love one another, Okay, getting this order is, is incredibly right, important. Okay? Because you have been so greatly loved, love one another. Okay? Because uh, of the love first shown to you through the gospel, love one another. We love because he first loved us. Has that sunk into you yet? That, that, that he first loved you? Um, I love, Spurgeon captures it uh, beautifully. Something about when that God's amazing love actually sinks into our hearts as believers. Listen to this, he says, what is it that we've been talking about? It's God's love to us. Get that thought in your head a minute. God loves me. Not merely bears with me, or thinks of me, or feeds me, but loves me. Oh, it is a sweet thing to feel uh, that we have the love of a dear wife or of a kind husband, and there's, there's much sweetness in the love of a fond child or a tender mother, but to think that God loves me is infinitely better. Who is it that loves you? God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Almighty. All in all, does He love me? Even He? If all men and all angels and all the living creatures that are before the throne loved me, it was nothing to this. The infinite loves me. Who is it that loves me? Uh, Who is it that he loves? Me. The text says us. The love of of him because uh, we love him because he first loved us. But this is the personal point. He loves me, an insignificant nobody full of sin who deserved to be in hell who loves him so little in return, God loves me. Has that sunk in? Listen, your love for Jesus did not originate with you. Uh, Jesus' love for you did not originate with you. Luther says, God does not love because of our works. He loves because of his love. God loves you. We don't know why, but he does. (laughs) Do you love him? If you do, the only reason that you have the capacity to love him is because you have been a recipient of God's love. You've been born again. That's why you love him. And because of that love that he has shown you, because that love that casts out all fear, John says, love one another. And um, he actually goes on and, and he says that your love for others is actually a result. It's actually proof that you love God, that your love for God is real. Okay? They actually go hand in hand. John says, You can't say you love God and turn around and not love your brothers and sisters. Your love for others is proof that you love God. It's it's one of the vital signs. It's the the result of you beginning to understand the scope of the gospel. It's the result of, uh, of when you begin to grasp what he's actually done for you. This love of God who sent his only son to come and to die on our behalf so that we can be near him, so that we can be called his family, his children now, so we can have no fear on that day of judgment when you begin to understand this there's no other result than to extend that love to those around you we love because he first loved us God is love okay let's pray Jesus we sang that song Jesus we love you We do want to mean that. We love you um, not because we love you for one reason, and that's because you have given us the capacity to love you because of what you've done for us on the cross. We thank you, Father, that you are love. We thank you that you love us with a relentless love. Help us to not forget that that we have your love. It's the reason you sent Jesus to to come and die for us. I thank you that you've given your spirit to us to be our always comforter, to be our always uh, helper. So we do love you, Jesus. Lord, help us to understand what the gospel has done for us. It's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to wake up tomorrow and turn in on myself and start my day to work really hard, to get tired, to help us remember the gospel, Lord, that you have come and you've, you've become our, you were our substitute, that, that the wrath of God is on you, not on us, that we can be called children of God, Lord, let that love boil up in us and and flow out to others. Help us to love one another. It's the way the world knows we know you. It's because of our love. We thank you, Jesus. We love you. pray these things in your name.